Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Welcome to the Arkansas AgCast for July 30th. I'm your host, Rob Anderson. This week, we get an update on cotton from Extension Cotton Agronomist Bill Robertson, learn about the latest research on blackberries, peaches, and grapes, and we talk to Scott Bray from the State Plant Board about the mysterious seed packages some people have been receiving in the mail. We also hear from Dr. Nathan Slayton of the Arkansas Agricultural Experiment Station about the cancellation of the popular Arkansas Rice Expo event in Stuttgart and how they plan to take some of the event presentations online. First, Keith Sutton talks to cotton agronomist Bill Robertson of the Cooperative Extension Service, who says there's good news and bad news for Arkansas cotton producers. Welcome to AgCast. This is Keith Sutton with Arkansas Farm Bureau. Today, I'm visiting with cotton agronomist Bill Robertson with the University of Arkansas Division of Agriculture Cooperative Extension Service. Welcome to AgCast, Bill. Hey, Keith. I appreciate the intro. I always enjoy visiting with you. Well, same here, and it's been a couple of months since uh, we talked. I think the last time was back in uh, mid-May, and uh, I know there's some new news in the cotton world that uh, you would like to share and our farmers would like to hear. So uh, how about you uh, kick it off, and let's see where this conversation goes. All right. Well, you know, there is a lot of things to talk about. I think I think I'll start with uh, the acre report from uh, USDA that came out in July, and uh, it you know I was visiting with Scott Styles, and and you know we were thinking that uh, their projection and bow weevil eradication numbers have never matched so close. Uh, you know, half a million acres I think is Keith is is a really really good number. And, you know, I just come off of a meeting and, and, you know, we're doing all Zoom meetings now, <laughs> but with my counterparts across the, the, the cotton belt. And, uh, you know, I was, I'm kind of surprised that, you know, with the, the, you know, the, how connected some of the extension people are with like Farm Bureau and Bowie Eradication. I think in Arkansas, we have a really good connection between all of our different groups with NRCS and Farm Bureau. And bowie eradication and all these, maybe maybe the state's just the right size for that to work well. But anyway, half a million acres is kind of where we are. So that's that's 120,000 acres down from last year, and it's 90,000 wow. acres down from our March planting intentions. And and you think about you know there's there was planting season was pretty tough this year, both in right. the field and out of the field with the COVID and all this other thing going on. But we we really didn't have really good temperatures for planting until toward the end of May. You know, we had some April planted cotton. You know, we had some very very small windows to get stuff in, and we kind of squeezed it in. And and I think our cotton did surprisingly well with the, the conditions we had to get a stand. Um, but, you know, when we look at our crop condition right now, you know, we're uh, 81% good to excellent, and uh, that, that's got us going really good. You know, when, when I look at, you know, Keith, when, when we look at planting progress, even at the the middle of May, we were only running about half of what our five-year average was. Right. And and so when we look at that now, you know, I feel like we're we're seven to ten days late on average on our crop. You know, we've got we got we you know, I got caught, I got producers sent me pictures of flowers on July one. 
Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So so we had you know some of that early early April cotton planted come on and did good, but we've got some that's that's just now getting in a bloom good, and so so we're running so we're running a little bit behind. Um, one thing that I see out in the field is is our retention is just out of the roof, and uh, I think producers did uh, a really good job with their early season picks for the most part, and between that and retention, we've got. Our, our plant height is in really good shape. Our retention is really high, and and I and I have a really good feel for how the crop looks right now on our yield potential. But I tell you what, Keith, you go back uh, about a month ago, and, and this cotton cotton was looking still kind of ragged. Because right. you know, you know, the tools we have in Arkansas to control pigweed are pretty tough on the cotton plant, and it seemed like our our residuals didn't last as long this year, and and had problems controlling pigweed, so it seemed like we were having to make more applications of of our products to control pigweed. And so, bottom line is, we really dinged that cotton plant up a lot and kind of slowed it down a little bit. So it took it a while to kind of get its feet under it. And you know, when we look at the cotton aspect, you know, we kind of dinged it up. But I really feel like, uh, you know, it dinged our pocketbooks up some too, because you know, if we had, you know, the 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 tool, you know, dicamba, you know, we couldn't spray dicamba after the 25th of May. But, you know, if you look at weed control programs that you see in other states where they were able to, to spray longer, um, I really feel like, you know, some of the farmers I visit with now, they've got, some of them have $80 in their herbicide control costs right now. And if we had the, if we'd had dicamba, it would have been half. You know, they got clean fields, but they've had to work their tail ends off to keep clean fields and, and it costs uh, them a good bit of money. But we do have clean fields. I've seen a lot of I've seen a lot of really, really good cotton. You know, our thrips pressures were light kinda of on our early planted cotton. They kinda of picked up on the tail end. Our plant bug numbers are kind of are picking up. You know, there's a lot of times this year farmers are, are treating whole fields. I mean whole farm. Every right. every acre on their farm is getting a plant bug treatment. And we're not seeing that right now. You know, our moths are—they're picking up in the traps. I think some people are starting to see eggs. Uh, I'm hearing, you know, when you look on social media, what's going on down south, like in Mississippi, worms coming through on things. It's kind of scary. So it's going to be coming. So everybody needs to keep their their uh, eyes open and their ears to the ground to see kind of what's coming on. But uh, but right now. You know we're we're doing really good, and and the forecast for later on this week is for kind of widespread rainfall, and and that's going to be really nice. But some I know some of these crews that farmers have, the farmers and their crews have just been going like nonstop, and 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 a and a good rain would would give everybody a, a good break. But uh, our nodes, you know, Keith, our nodes above white flower numbers are good at first flower, even even with all the dinged up cotton and kind of getting off to a slow start. We had good horsepower. Um, you know, fields that started blooming the 1st of July, you know, three weeks of effective bloom is really all we need. And so a lot of those fields are starting to cut out. You know, we're kind of getting close to the fourth week of bloom. So fields are kind of cutting out along the line. So that means we've been doing a pretty good job on balancing our vegetative and reproductive growth. So if we do that and we get to cut out and cut out, you know, for us in Arkansas is when nodes above white flower equal five. So when we're at cutout, no nodes above white flower equal five, I like to think of those white flowers that we see out there as our last money bowls. 
you know, right. we're going to have, we're going to, you know, the plant's going to keep flowering and it's going to make bowls after that, but those bowls aren't going to be as big. It's not going to have as much cotton in them. But the ones that, that, that are there at cutout are the, really the last ones that are going to contribute significantly to yield and profit. And so that's when we identify cutout and start keeping track of heat units. And, and we've got people that are already starting to do that. You know, when we have 250 heat units beyond cutout, and and we're clean from plant bugs, and we don't have to worry about spraying them anymore. Uh, the 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 heat unit threshold for worms, you know, or, or bollworm, tobacco budworm is 350 heat units. Uh, fall army worms, 450 heat units. And then we and then we start, uh, you know, our defoliating insects, you know, because we got to keep the leaves on the plant because that's the sugar factory. About 650 heat units, but about 850 to 900 heat units, we need to be looking at, at defoliation timing, you know, to get this crop out of the field. You know, I think we've got really good yield potential right now. We've managed the plant well. We've got great retention. If we can get this crop finished off and and know when we can stop spending money on the crop so that uh, it, it doesn't cost us yield, but we don't spend extra money on things and we don't do things to make it to make the crop late, then we can try to get pickers in the field in a timely fashion. It, it, you know, we really like to get pickers in the field by the middle of September, but we get the pickers in the field and get this crop out, and and hopefully we're not we're not picking cotton in November like like we have the right. last couple of years. Right. But but I think if we can do all that, you know, it looks really good right now. We can keep right on track the way we're going. I think things are going to look pretty good. I just I just wish it wasn't fifty two cent loan cotton. Right, really. Uh... Bill, compared to some of our other states in the south and the east, Arkansas is looking pretty good, right? Yeah, Arkansas is looking pretty good. You know, when you go out out west to Texas, you know, they've had some really super dry conditions. They got, you know, uh, a lot of dry land cotton out there, and and most of their dry they're they're going to have a lot of, of, of cotton fields out there that never see never see a harvester. Uh, and you know, even you go to Tennessee, you know, there's there's a big di- even just across the river, uh, there's a big difference in the amount of irrigated cotton, the the, the percent irrigated, and uh, they weren't able to really keep much of their early planted cotton, and so there's a world of difference between Arkansas cotton and Tennessee cotton, and then you get out on the East Coast, the Carolinas, Virginia. You know, uh, my counterparts out there are saying they they think they've got the worst crop that they've ever ever had. And then oh, wow. what's coming up the Gulf? We got a hurricane coming up. It's going to come right, up the East right. Coast. And so those guys up there just, you know, they've had hurricanes in the fall and hurricanes harvested their cotton, you know, down in South Texas this year in uh, the Rio Grande Valley, the upper coastal bend cotton that was open there, the hurricane harvested that cotton. And so some, some of those folks are having a hard time catching a break. So, you know, we're, I feel like we're pretty fortunate, kind of blessed here in Arkansas. We, uh, with the rain we get and, and avoiding the hurricanes a lot of times. I hope I'm not jinxing things. But anyway. Well, I, uh, but <laughs> I don't want to get you in trouble. Yeah. Well, worse things have happened, I guess. But anyway, but but things things are looking pretty good for us right now. We just need to kind of keep on track and, and keep our costs down because there there ain't much money in it. So we, we don't have we don't have a, a margin to to, to to uh, stump or toe, so so let's uh, let's get in and out as quick and easy as we can, and hope for the best. 
Are there uh, resources that y'all have available through the extension service that might be helpful to folks right now? Yeah, especially when we get into, uh, you know, when when we identify our latest possible cutout date or or, le- or when we identify cutout when note about pot flower, then you start keeping track of heat units and and we send emails out. Contact your county agent if you're wanting to know, you know, how many heat units you have. Uh, beyond cutout, so say your field cuts out on uh, uh, July 27th. So then you can go in there and, and we can look at temp- you can look at temperatures and the location close to you, and and know when you got 250 heat units, know when you have 350 heat units, and so forth. And so we, you know we we do some of those things to to help folks uh, uh, know where they are in terms of being able to 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 terminate this crop. With, with that's, all that's this, the big thing. Yeah, with with everything that's going on uh, with COVID nineteen and and people having to uh, avoid uh, being with folks, are, are y'all able to get out on the farms very much right now? Or are you not able to do that? Yeah, you know we're still going out to fields. Uh, you know, where I have my crew that, that go out instead of every people riding in one vehicle, you know, we're riding separate vehicles and, and trying to social distance out in the field when we can't social distance, you know, we're wearing our face, our, our face mask covering our, our mouth and our nose. And so, you know, we're trying to take that very serious because it just seems like, you know, our, our numbers are just staying, staying really high. Yeah, so with sure. school starting and, and sports now, there, there's still a lot of questions on what's going on, but the bottom line is, we're we're still in the heat of the battle on this thing. It doesn't seem like it's going down yet. So, so we're still able to get out there and do our job, but still be safe about it. Uh, you know, going out to looking at problem fields, working with county agents, uh, doing all the different things that that we normally do. So, so it's uh, our, we're kind of in our new normal right now, but we're still we're still out in the field getting her done. Just for folks uh, who who might not know who are listening in to this podcast, what are uh, some of the top cotton counties in Arkansas? Where's our biggest uh, uh, acreage at? Yeah, you know, when when you look at acres, you know, Mississippi County just historically has always been our, our number one county. Uh, you know, Mississippi County, Craighead County, uh, are kind of our, our top two counties. Poinsett is is in that top group. Um, you know, if you look at the the state of Arkansas, and you go two counties deep from the Boot Hill of Missouri, then then we've got you know that's that's close to sixty percent of the acres in Arkansas. So okay. the vast majority of it is in northeast Arkansas. But but we've got cotton you know down in Ashley and Chico County, all the way up into in, into Clay, Mississippi County, so we're, we're strung out pretty good, and and you know you'd kind of be surprised at the amount of cotton that's over in Southwest Arkansas, but yeah. you know a long, long time ago that's where all of our cotton was because <laughs> Eastern Arkansas was still a swamp, <laughs> right? But you right. know in, in uh, Southwest Arkansas that's where all the cotton used to be, and uh, and you know cotton's kind of making a little bit of a comeback there. Uh, we got some growers that are doing things, and we have some county variety tests and. And we've got some, some some things out there. We got some new agents out there. Where uh, Andy Van Gilder is is doing a lot of new agent training. So so 
So I think we have a really strong program over in southwest Arkansas to help those cotton producers over there because, you know, some of those producers, cotton's new to them, but it's not new to that farm. Right. And uh, and so it's kind of surprising on on where where you know where where cotton is. I know uh, uh, last year I, when I was able to travel more, uh, I saw a lot of cotton down in Miller County, Howard County, down in that area, and I was kind of surprised. I didn't know cotton was raised very often down in that part of the state. Yeah, that that again that used to be where all the cotton was, and then you know when we started. Uh, uh, clearing the Delta, you know, and it's kind of interesting. I, I live here in Jackson County. You know, at one time, you know, when cotton was coming in and, and timber was going out, that the timber and cotton were the, the big industries. And, and you know, they, with the muscle shells and all that for the, the pearl buttons on the shirts, right. you know, and all, you know, Newport was a very hopping place kind of in it that was. transition. Yeah. So it's it's really it's really interesting to when you kind of dig in the history on, on some of this. But, but you know, cotton and rice is 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 that's generally what's paid the bills in Arkansas, and it's kind of gotten yeah. where, you know, our corn and our beans, uh, you know, with better prices and all that, that we're that you know we're, we've got we've got a lot of really good options for uh, production agriculture here in Arkansas, and, and then row rice, I just you know row rice yeah. really intrigues me, and you know we're we're seeing a uh, row rice coming in on ground that that's pretty uh pretty suited for cotton a lot of times you know rice ground and cotton ground didn't overlap that much but anyway so so we're we're in constant uh state of of uh change here in arkansas which which is good because we have a lot of options well that's good and is there anything uh we need to tell folks to kind of uh wrap this up i know first of all let's all pray for some rain and Hope that uh, we get rain where it's needed in the next few days. It looks like we might, and that'll be a big help. What else would you like to tell folks before we uh, wrap it up? Yeah, just you know, again, you know, you know, with the price of cotton and, and kind of the outlook, we get we you know we uh, we you know we got to make every dollar count and do that. And uh, you know we're. Our our crew's been working really hard, just been going nonstop. We got to stay safe, both with on farm accidents, but but with this COVID nineteen, just uh, wear you know wear a mask, social distance. You know it, it's a real deal. We you know we've got to be safe on things. So so safety is job one. And and we got to watch the heat too. Uh, yeah, time yeah. Of year, that's important. Yeah, it could so. sneak up on you. And you know I'm kind of. I'm getting a little older, and and there, the other day he kind of snuck up on me, and it kind of surprised me a little bit. So uh, I've got you know you, you just you know no telling no no matter how tough you think you are, you got you got to watch out. Got to be careful. Everybody needs to take precautions and uh, and use good common sense. Yeah. Well, uh, Bill, once again, thank you for taking time to get us up to date on what's happening in the cotton world. It's uh, always a benefit to our farmers to know what's going on and uh, they rely so much on the extension folks like you uh, for help so thank you for being here with us today well thanks Keith and, and I think we have a great team here in Arkansas with extension and farm bureau and NRCS Absolutely. and and everybody else I think we have a great team here so it it, it makes it makes my job a lot more fun 
Well, and same for us, and uh, we're very appreciative, and we'll keep working together to try to get the word out to folks of what they need to know that'll help. Thank you very much, Bill. Thank you, sir. Next, Ken Moore is joined by Dr. Nathan Slayton, Assistant Director of the Arkansas Agricultural Experiment Station, to discuss the COVID-19-related cancellation of the annual Arkansas Rice Expo. Slayton explains how online video will be used to present some of the latest research information to those who would have attended the event. The rice harvest will be getting underway soon, and for years, the Arkansas Rice Expo has been a celebration of the industry. The first Friday in August. The Expo traditionally brings together hundreds of farmers and industry representatives, along with state legislators and University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture, faculty, and researchers. But like so many other events, the COVID-19 pandemic has forced the cancellation of the popular in-person gathering in Stuttgart. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Nathan Slayton. He is Assistant Director of the Arkansas Agricultural Experiment Station with the Division of Agriculture. Uh, Dr. Slayton, I know it's disappointing that you're not going to be able to conduct the Rice Expo in Stuttgart next week, but uh, do you have an alternative plan to reach the farmers and others who would be in attendance? Yes, like most of the other states uh, throughout the United States, we have decided to make our field days uh, uh, offered via a virtual format. Uh, which means that our scientists will be working with our communications group to develop uh, presentations in the field, and those will be shown uh, on specified dates by commodity. And then after the uh, presentations are all uh, made, there will be a, a short period afterwards for live question and answer sessions. The Expo is one of the largest and important events that the Division of Agriculture conducts every year. I know, as I say it, it usually attracts several hundred people down there to Stuttgart. Uh, they put it on their calendars as a do-not-miss event. Why is that? Well, um, it, those types of meetings afford a couple of things. Number one, uh, sometimes it's a nice break you know, from the daily grind uh, during a period where hopefully – Crops are kind of in the home stretch. Uh, the other thing that I think a lot of people look forward to is, honestly, it's just the the social part of learning where everybody is able to get together and whether you're uh, listening to one of the scientists talk about the latest research or simply uh, chatting with the person next to you on the trailer or in the catfish line, uh, there's a lot of information exchanged at those uh, types of meetings that are of benefit to everybody. Uh, you referenced just a moment ago how you're going to be presenting uh, video or online versions of your field tours. Uh, I know that those are perhaps one of the more popular aspects of the Rice Expo every year, going out to the fields at the research station there in Stuttgart and uh, and hearing the latest uh, from the agronomist. Uh, so uh, how will you utilize that Zoom conferencing to share that information, and and uh, what is the latest information uh, from the research in this year? Well, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on how all these things are delivered, uh, like, again, most of the other land-grant universities uh, surrounding Arkansas. We're kind of learning how to do these things on the fly. Uh, our communications group has done 
some in the past, uh, like with blackberries. So, you know, they're um, not uh, quite as steep a learning curve as what uh, I have, but um, they'll be, I think, delivered via some type of YouTube channel uh, to the general public. And, you know, while most of us uh, certainly will miss the social aspects of the field days, you know, this virtual format, does uh, allow us some flexibility, and there are some benefits to it. Um, you know, you, you've referenced the Stuttgart Rice Field Day, which has been an annual event. Uh, you know, one of the limitations of that is, you know, when you're at the Rice Research Station in Stuttgart, that's the only thing that you can really see there that particular day. Uh, with this virtual format, I think some of our researchers uh, will actually be able to show video um, of research that's being conducted at uh, multiple stations during their presentation. So um, the other advantage is that they'll be able to talk about and show uh, research, you know, that really uh, as far as a month, you know, back when we first started making this transition and planning for virtual field days, um, you know, it just won't be what you see typically in the field at August. It may be younger rice or younger soybeans that you're able to see uh, maybe more dramatic differences than you would in person on, you know, at an early August field day. And you just already hit on my next question, potentially, and uh, after the uh, Rice Expo, uh, we transition into the fall schedule that you conduct each year. Uh, a number of field days are conducted at uh, research stations uh, across the state. I know I attended the field day down in Rower at your station there last year. Uh, and I'm guessing from what you just said, you're going to be doing the very same thing uh, for those. Instead of inviting the farmers down later this fall, you'll be doing those special uh, YouTube presentations. That is correct. Uh, so the way uh, we decided to move forward with our field days, uh, you know, if you think to the, the uh, any any of the field days that you went to at any of our research stations, you know, you might see corn, soybeans, and rice all on on the same uh, morning. Um, so the way we've designed it this year is that the the uh, field days will be presented by commodity. We're going to start out with rice on August 20th, and then every two weeks we're going to uh, have another one that will appear. Um, so it'll be rice first, and then uh, corn, then soybeans, and in early October we'll wrap up with cotton. All right. Well, you know, thank goodness for technology, right? So that we can reach our producers uh, this way uh, when we normally would see them in person. We miss those in-person meetings, but technology is helping us bridge that gap. That's right. All of our researchers are honestly just a, uh, a mouse click or a few uh, taps on your on your cell phone away from uh, communicating with with numerous. Uh, different uh, uh, avenues, so we do encourage folks to reach out uh, to our researchers, and I know the researchers uh, back from, you know, my days as a researcher, um, I valued the, the conversations that I had with the growers because that's where we learn and, and get a lot of our ideas for what uh, needs to be done uh, to help our farmers. And I guess for the uh, producers out there that are listening to this conversation, uh, I'm assuming that uh, maybe they'll you'll utilize your county extension offices and agents to get the word out to them about how to access these videos. 
and these presentations starting on August 20th. Yeah, our communications group will be uh, putting information out here very shortly. Um, I'm sure that you'll see our uh, scientists who have a presence on the different uh, social media formats, uh, advertising and, and promoting these. So uh, just, you know, kind of pay attention to uh, the different media and social medias, and, and you'll uh, find information on how to access these. Very good. Well, Dr. Slayton, uh, I'm sorry I'm not going to be able to see you in person uh, as I normally would next week down in Stuttgart, and let's just hope that uh, this pandemic will, uh, the curve will flatten out, and it won't even be something we're talking about this time next year. We can look forward to uh, reuniting in Stuttgart a year from now. I know we'll all look forward to uh, being able to shake hands again and, and lay eyes on each other in person. You betcha. You betcha. I've been talking to Dr. Nathan Slayton, Assistant Director of the Arkansas Agricultural Experiment Station for the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. You may have heard about mysterious seed packets showing up in mailboxes around the country. Ashlyn Ussery chats with Scott Bray from the State Plant Board about the packets and what people should do if they receive one. This is Ashlyn Ussery with Arkansas Farm Bureau, and on this edition of Arkansas AgCast, we're speaking with Arkansas Department of Agriculture's State Plant Board Director, Scott Bray. Scott, thank you for joining us. You're welcome, Ashlyn. The Arkansas Department of Agriculture released information last week regarding their awareness of, this, of, of several citizens um, in other states receiving unsolicited packages of seeds that appear to have originated from China. Can you tell us, Scott, what y'all know so far about these packages? Yes, ma'am. It does appear like this is fairly widespread across the country. We've heard from several states uh, that are reporting the same thing. Uh, Apparently, these unsolicited packages of seed appear to be coming from China. USDA, uh, Department of Homeland Security, Border Protection uh, and Customs, and several state departments are investigating. Uh, it, the evidence indicates that it is part of an e-commerce brushing scam where people receive the unsolicited items from a seller and the seller then turns around and posts false customer reviews in order to boost sales. There's also some indication that the uh, the seller, for lack of a better word, may be trying to solicit a response from the receiver, such as an email reply or a phone call where they'll start asking questions and trying to uh, get some personal information from you. So what I'm hearing a lot about these seeds is that they are informing people to not at all regard. What kind of issues could arise if these unknown seeds are planted? Well, the, the biggest concern we have is the potential to introduce either a new weed or an insect pest or a plant disease. Uh, if that were to get established in our state, it could have a huge impact on crops, gardens, our environment, could cost farmers and producers and citizens millions on down the road uh, in eradication and control efforts. Is there any data that y'all are aware of from other states? Because I know that Arkansas is not the only one that has seen um, so many of these packages. Have other states have done any testing on these seeds? Not to my knowledge. I am not aware that any of these seeds have been identified either through a State Department of Ag or through USDA yet. 
I have uh, heard indications that it seems like there's a variety of seed. It's not just one particular uh, type of seed. For our champions that have received these packages or will in the coming um, you know, days, weeks, in, in, in the future, what is going to be their first step towards reporting this and getting this knowledge to you all? They can go to our webpage, www.agriculture.arkansas.gov. Uh, there on that landing page, there is a contact us option. There's phone, there's email, there's Facebook, there's Twitter. So please just reach out to us, contact us, let us know. We'll call you back, give us some information. Right now, our plan is to retrieve the seed ourselves. We'll send an inspector out to come get it from you. If we become overwhelmed with calls and we just can't accomplish that, we may start asking citizens to mail it to us. But starting out, we're going to try to collect it ourselves. All right. Well, thank you, Scott, for talking with us today on how the Arkansas Department of Agriculture is keeping Arkansans informed on this arising issue and doing everything that y'all can to keep the natural state healthy. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, Ashley. Finally, Greg Patterson talks to UA Horticulture Associate Professor Margaret Worthington to get an update on research work that will benefit blackberry, peach, and grape growers. This is Greg Patterson with Arkansas Farm Bureau. And on this edition of Arkansas AgCast, we're talking with Margaret Worthington. She's an assistant professor of fruit breeding and genetics for the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture. And Margaret, welcome. Thank you for having me. Now you were recently recognized with an award from or, or recognition from Fruit Grower News. And that gave me the idea, we ought to call Margaret and find out what kind of research she's been doing lately. So I'd like to just kind of touch base with you and get a synopsis of what's going on at the Fruit Research Station. And, and you and I were talking earlier and you mentioned something about peaches that was coming up. What's going on with peaches? Well, we're at the height of field season. So out there evaluating a lot of peaches and nectarines this time of year, all the new breeding selections. And we have a pipeline with seedlings every year from new crosses that we make, things in the middle of the pipeline that are looking promising, all the way up to advanced replicated trials. And we have one that is looking particularly good. So I think we'll end up pulling the trigger and having a new early season peach variety on the market um, this winter. Well, and part of what you're doing with, with your research, as you mentioned, this will be an early season variety. And and, and tell folks, uh, you know, how you try and lengthen out a peach season for growers so they have more opportunity to earn income. Well, sure. You know, this program, uh, the peach breeding program here at the University of Arkansas started focusing on canning peaches. And then in about the 1990s, when the canning peach industry in the Eastern US was going down and moving towards California, we shift focus to working on fresh market peaches and nectarines. And particularly on having disease resistant material that's adapted to the East. And at that time, all other programs in the region were focused on standard acid yellow peaches. And so we really tried to put a focus on developing some white peaches and nectarines to complement those and to have availability of different peach selections throughout the season. So, you know, peaches are delicious and they get nice and soft and kind of fall apart in your mouth. So they don't hold up super well like apples. And that means that we have to have a lot of different varieties 
that ripen at different times to fill that season. So now we have things like White County, which is a real successful white peach for us uh, that ripens about this time of year, but we didn't have a really nice melting flesh white peach for early in the season. And so we hope this new release will fill that niche for something that will ripen in, um, around Clarksville mid-June. Well, that sounds great. I know the growers are probably excited about that. What's going on with muscadines? You've also been working with muscadines too. Yeah, I grew up in Eastern North Carolina and muscadines are very popular there and they are my number one favorite fruit. So I was real excited when um, Dr. Clark turned over the reins of the muscadine breeding program to me. So now I'm leading muscadine breeding here. Um, to me, the most exciting thing that we're doing is partnering with uh, the private company Gardens Alive on developing seedless muscadines. Anybody who's had muscadines knows that they have big old seeds <laughs> that are super bitter. And so um, we hope to make muscadine eating a more sophisticated indoor process and requiring less spitting. <laughs> so uh, we're gonna get rid of the seeds and we're also working on improving the texture I really like muscadine's traditional texture and flavor, but I know that they can be uh, polarizing. <laughs> and so we'd like to have a muscadine that has a texture that's a little bit more similar to what people are accustomed to with a table grape with a thinner skin and firmer flesh than a muscadine even a Yankee could love. Well, we would definitely be looking forward to that. And then finally, let's wrap up by talking about blackberries. I mean, the fruit research stations famous for coming up with blackberries. Yeah, here at the Fruit Research Station, we have had breeding programs for a number of different crops over the years, but blackberries has always been our flagship program. That's been where we've had the biggest commercial impact. So Dr. John Clark is still leading our applied blackberry breeding program, and I am having a really great opportunity working so closely with him and getting to know the program so that when he does retire in about two and a half years, that there should be like a really smooth, seamless transition where none of our partners are affected and we've still got a nice pipeline of activities coming out. So we've done a couple things to get me involved in blackberries. Uh, I've done a lot of genetics research. You know, I'm primarily a field breeder and I'm focused on cultivar development, but I also have some background in molecular breeding. So I have a big federal grant working on understanding the genetics behind fruit firmness in blackberries. Uh, the idea there is that we have a big range of fruit firmness. We have some selections that have kind of a crispy texture where it to me is like a pomegranate arrow or something. It's a pleasant sensation, um, but they hold up much better in storage. We like the idea that you might be able to leave them on the plant a little bit longer and have fewer picks per week. There's a lot of benefits to having a firmer blackberry. So we're excited about working on the genetics of that and hopefully we can develop molecular markers that can help us to plan crosses and find uh, new winners more effectively and efficiently with that process. And we're also interested in the genetics of primocane fruiting, uh, internode length, a bunch of different traits. So that's one area where I'm getting involved. The other area is in our novel breeding program. So we have, um, we've had a breeding program for a couple years now, um, focused on 
developing short statured blackberry plants. This is both for the ornamental market, for like patio plants, that a cute little blackberry that a homeowner can stick in a patio plant in their yard. And baby cakes is the product of our breeding in that area so far. But we also think that there might be some commercial aspect to these short statured blackberries. Uh, that they might work better in some more high density production systems. So I'm partnering with Ryan Dixon, our controlled environment agriculture specialist on some efforts there. So I'm, I'm excited to be leading our dwarf or novel blackberry breeding program now. Well, really good news coming out of the Fruit, Fruit Research Station. She is Margaret Worthington, an assistant professor of fruit breeding and genetics with the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture. Thank you so much for the update and congratulations on your recognition with the uh, award as well. Thank you so much, Greg. My pleasure. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. That's all for this edition. Thanks for joining us for another Arkansas AgCast. We'll be back next Thursday with more news and views on Arkansas agriculture.